We've all asked many how long questions in our lives, haven't we? When you were a kid, you may have asked your parents, how long until we get there? How long is it till Christmas? Maybe a few weeks ago, you were asking, how long is it until my next holiday? I'm an Arsenal fan, and I've been asking for the last 18 years, how long until we win the league? Two years ago, we were all asking, how long until the pandemic's over? How long until we can meet in each other's homes? And sometimes in life, we ask, how long will this period of suffering going to last for? How long will I keep feeling this unbearable pain? How long? Today, we're looking at a psalm of lament, where the psalmist David pours out his heart to God from the depths of his suffering. Now, to be honest with you, when I started looking at this psalm a few weeks ago, I was going through a pretty rough week myself. Uh, My mood was just on the floor. I wasn't myself. And this psalm really helped me. It was balm to my weary soul. And I hope we'll see today from this psalm that the Bible is not a place for false hope or feel-good faith, but a place to go with our very real issues. And that issue is suffering. And it's common to us all. Whether you've been a Christian for a few years or just a few months, or if you're not a follower of Jesus at all. Suffering is something we all experience and all will experience. Now, we don't know when Psalm 13 was written, um, but it is very clear that David is writing in a really difficult situation from the very depths of despair. And this is a psalm for all of us. We can all pray this, no matter our experience of suffering. Now, to help us understand how the psalmist was feeling, what that despair can feel like, I asked one of my friends who suffers with depression to describe what she feels like on her worst days. This is what she says. It feels like you're in a really dark pit somewhere and that there's a really heavy rock crushing you. Not quite killing you, but crushing you enough that you know that you're not safe and that it'll end really badly. And it feels like life will always be that way, and that it will never feel any different. What hope do we have when we are being crushed? What hope do you have when life is unimaginably hard? And I pray that we can see that this psalm gives us hope, even on the darkest of nights. And just let me read the psalm again for us very quickly. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David starts off this psalm with a plea. He's pleading with God in these first two verses. And you can really feel the depths of David's pain in these verses, can't you? Those four how long questions. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? How long? 
you can really sense that all-consuming nature of the suffering that he's going through. And here David, he really pleads with the Lord. He absolutely doesn't hold back. Verse 1, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He feels neglected by the Lord. His suffering feels never-ending. It feels like the Lord will forget him forever. And it's not that David thinks that the Lord's forgotten who he is, but he thinks that the Lord has forgotten him, more in terms of the Lord is withholding his help and comfort from him. And it's really hard for David to envisage the Lord ever lovingly remembering him again. David doesn't think that the Lord's favor is resting upon him. He doesn't feel that the Lord's face is shining upon him and giving him peace, like we see in the blessing from number six. If the Lord is not looking on David, if his face is hidden from him, what hope can he have? What could be worse than the Lord hiding his face from him? We see more of the crushing weight of suffering that David is experiencing in verse 2. He's wrestling with his thoughts. He has sorrow in his heart all the day, day after day. And again, we get that feeling and sense that the suffering is never going to end. There is no sense of peace in his mind. He's been wrestling with his thoughts for a long time, and David is fearing that he may never have a sense of peace ever again. There's no joy in his heart. Can you feel that sense of heaviness, that heavy sadness in his heart? Will the clouds ever lift? Will the sun break through? To be honest with you, I can find lament psalms almost disturbing sometimes. Um, I'm thinking, how could David think the Lord would forget him? Is it right for him to speak to the Lord like that? And I think part of the reason I'm sometimes so perturbed by psalms like this, it's because I've not been taught or I've not learned how to lament well, how to express my pain in hard times. So what can we learn from the way David talks to the Lord in these verses? It might just be my background, but whenever I go through a period of suffering and I'm talking to another Christian about it, I kind of put pressure on myself to kind of show them that my theology is still correct, even though I'm going through a hard time. So if I was going through a rough time, I'd always say something like this. Yeah, it's been hard, but I know that God is sovereign and that he has a plan for my life, so it'll be grand. Now, there's nothing theologically incorrect about what I've said there. There's some great theology. Like, surely if we know God is good and he's in control, then we can be okay because he knows best. The issue with that, though, it's not very human, is it? It's very robotic. And we're not robots. God did not make us as robots. He made us as humans. And I think that's why for so many of us, it can actually be quite hard to engage with politics because politicians can actually be so robotic. They're often not authentic and they're just saying they're prescripted lines. So because I'm such a fun 24-year-old guy, two weekends ago, I watched both conservative leadership debates. Um, and it was, I found it quite annoying because they kept employing a tactic that politicians use in every single debate. Uh, it's called the ABC tactic. Uh, and once I've told you about it, you will not be able to unsee it. So A means acknowledge. So you make some attempt to answer the question you've been asked. And then you quickly move on to B, which is your bridge. You have a bridging sentence to get you away from answering the question you've just been asked. Which then brings us on to C, control. You then move on to the question that you wish you'd been asked in the first place. And it's a handy trick. It means politicians can always talk about what they want to talk about instead of actually addressing the issue at hand. So one quick example for you from a few years ago. 
Uh, a question could it be about NHS funding? Uh, and the answer might be, yeah, we need to increase NHS funding, but to do that, we need a strong economy. And that is why you should vote for me with my record of economic growth and my plan to cut the deficit. The issue with this is we're not getting a real answer to the question. It's just annoying. You move on to something they want to say in the first place, and we switch off. And I think we can be in danger of doing something similar to that when we're going through hard times ourselves, of just avoiding the issue and changing the topic. We can be tempted to really quickly move on from our pain to our correct theology. But it's not very real. Don't get me wrong, the correct theology we have is absolutely wonderful. It is glorious. We've been saved from sin. We're adopted children in God's family. We've got the Holy Spirit living in us. We've got the new creation to look forward to, worshiping God in perfect peace forever. Like the truths we hold are glorious and so important. But it doesn't mean we can just ignore our pain or our turmoil. We're human. We feel. We're deeply emotive. And God knows that. And he knows us. Maybe your response to suffering is to shut off all your feelings and not to engage with your pain at all. That can be such a natural instinct, but we need to be wary of that. As hard as it can be, we need to be pouring out our heart to God. Some people's biggest critique of the church in the UK is that we're not authentic. And if we want to be authentic, we need to be authentic in our relationship with God. We need to be real with him about how we feel. We need to be real with each other too. And of course, we need to trust God, and I'll get more onto that later. But our Abba Father wants us to pour out our emotions and our pains to him. He wants to hear his children cry out to him. So don't hold back in those seasons of suffering. Pour out your heart to God. Like the psalmist, ask those how long questions. Ask those why questions. Cry out to him. And I'm so thankful that we can reach out to God in our pain. I came across this quote from the author, Rochelle Goodrich. Um, she's not a Christian herself. And what she said broke my heart. She says, there are far too many silent sufferers. Not because they don't yearn to reach out, but because they've tried and found no one cares. Cry out to God. He cares. He cares for you more than you will ever know. Lamenting is so important. In the words of Mark Vrohop, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. I'll say that again quickly. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So let's pray in the midst of our pain. Let's, like David, pour out our hearts during those seasons of suffering. David moves from plea to petition in verses three to four. Here we see him ask God for help. And let me ask, what is our petition to God when we're suffering? What do you ask him to do? And I think these next two verses help show us how we can pray during those periods. Let's look again at David's petition in verse three. Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, there are lots of lament psalms in the Bible, uh, and there are several types of requests 
that psalmists make in those psalms. Some are pleas for justice, some for mercy, some for deliverance. But what does David want, to do, want God to do here in this psalm? He asks God to look on him and to change his perspective. He doesn't pray for God to rescue him from the situation that he's in. David knows it's really hard to see clearly in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's why he asks God to give light to his eyes. He asks God to help him reorient his perspective. And that's a big part of our Christian walk, having the right perspective. For example, if we have an eternal perspective, it helps remind us of the temporary, fleeting nature of this life. And it helps us focus on our new creation that we've got to look forward to. And that helps us by the Spirit's strength to live more selfless lives for the Lord. So David is so right to ask God to help him reorient his perspective. But please don't mishear me. That doesn't mean when we're suffering that we can't pray for deliverance. We absolutely should pray for deliverance from our situation, to pray for healing. We can pray to our God, who is our deliverer. At the same time, let's look at David's example here and pray that God will give light to our eyes in the midst of suffering. We often want God to fix our problems but often our pressing need is for him to restore our perspective. And that is David's petition. And it's hard, but let's not look elsewhere for our main source of comfort during suffering. God's given us many great gifts, family, friends, food, music, the outdoors. And yes, during tough seasons, we should enjoy those gifts, but we cannot look to them as our source of joy and hope, as easy as that is to do. When I had COVID a couple of years ago, uh, I lost my sense of taste uh, and it actually kind of woke me up and made me realize how much in difficult times I actually rely on food for comfort. It's so easy to look elsewhere other than God. But he is the one we need to look to. He is the one that can give light to our eyes. In verse four, David gives a further reason for God to grant his petition. David says that his enemies will claim victory and rejoice if God doesn't look on David and answer him. Now, as we know, David was God's king, and the kingdom of Israel represented the kingdom of God, and they were to be a light to his, the nations. And throughout his time as king, David was beset by several enemies. And each of these enemies represented not just people who wanted power, but people who wanted to reject God as king and corrupt the kingdom of God. And today we live in a culture where everyone wants to be king. And what they and we don't realize is that it's Satan who is behind those desires. And that's because we're engaged in a real spiritual battle. And perhaps one of the enemy's greatest tactics today is to make us think we don't have any enemies. But God will not let Satan triumph. So let's pray that God will reorient our perspective so that every day by the spirit's strength, we can engage in spiritual battle against the enemy. God will not let the enemy triumph over us, even when we're suffering. David's petition in these two verses is a great reminder that even in the depths of despair, what we most need is for God to give light to our eyes. And in verse five to six, we see God answer David's prayer. God reorients his perspective. He gives light to his eyes, and we see David praise the Lord here. In verse two, David's heart was sorrowful. But now in verse five, he says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. What a transformation. 
David hasn't been delivered from his immediate circumstances. Materially, nothing has changed. So why does he rejoice? Well, we see it in the first line of verse 5. It's because he can trust in God's steadfast love. David can now see that God's love for him is unfailing despite his tough circumstances. He can praise God now because he has remembered who God is and he has remembered God's love for him. We see David rejoice here because he knows that he can trust God's character. He knows that God will never let him down. And David continues to pour out praise in verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David remembers all the good things the Lord has done for him, all that he'd done for Israel, and it causes him to sing. So when we're suffering, as hard as it can be, let's remember all the good God has done for us in our lives. Let's remember all the good God has done with his people in the Bible. Let's remember all the good God has done with this church family. Gaze through the tears at his goodness. And even when it's so hard at church, sing praise to God, for he has been good to us. We see here David takes joy in God's character and his blessings. So what is our hope in the depths of despair? What do you cling to? When we're in the depths of despair, we can take comfort from who God is, because he is the God who meets us more than we can imagine in that place. We can have hope knowing that he loves us, that everything he does is for our good and for his glory. Even if God feels far away, if you feel far away from him right now, know that he is right here with you. Even if it doesn't feel like it, he is right there with you, even in your deepest pain. I very much agree with the theologian Tim Keller, um, who currently has pancreatic cancer, when he says, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. I can't imagine um, going through all the pain that comes with life, uh, all that we'll experience in this broken world without knowing God. And if you're here today uh, and you aren't a follower of Jesus, then I plead with you to think about following him. Because I want you to have this hope when you go through hard times. I can't bear the thought of anyone going through hard times without Jesus. And I want everyone to have that hope and suffering that we Christians have and rejoice in. So pray to God. Ask him to meet you in your suffering. And Christians, let's remember, even when it can be incredibly painful at times, God uses our suffering. He doesn't make mistakes. Recently, I was reading a book from a church family in America and their experience of suffering. One young man uh, lost his wife tragically to a sudden seizure. And it took that experience for him to realize that before his wife's death, he had been living for himself. Let me quote him briefly. I wanted what I desired more than I desired God. Sometimes suffering can wake us up. Sometimes it wakes us up from our lukewarmness, from our cold hearts, from our pride. No wonder C.S. Lewis calls suffering 
God's megaphone. Sometimes suffering is a blessing from God to wake us up to how much we need him. To quote the man who lost his wife again, through suffering, God calls us out of our own little lives and their dreams and hopes and concerns to transcend earthly things and know him. Suffering, as awful as it is, can lead us deeper with God. It's hard, it's confusing, I know. But there is purpose in our pain. Someone once said, I wondered how belief in God's goodness and all this agony could coexist in my one small heart. And it's confusing. It can be really tough to reconcile the agony we experience with God's goodness. But God is always good. Even in the agony, he is working for our good. Even when it makes no sense, we can and need to trust him. To be quite vulnerable with you, um, one thing I find quite hard myself is singleness. Uh, I know I'm only 24, uh, and I probably struggle with it uh, more than I should, um, but I'm sure there might be some of you here that do too, or maybe your sexual orientation means that you know you'll never marry. And it can be really hard. If we're single, we might often ask, how long till I meet someone? And that answer might be never. God promises us as Christians many wonderful things, um, but marriage isn't one of them. And sometimes I can find that really hard. But no matter how hard you find something like singleness or whatever you struggle with, let's pray that God will give light to our eyes and help us to see that no matter the circumstances, we can trust in his unfailing love and sing of his goodness even through the tears. There is nothing greater than knowing God more. Even if that drawing closer only comes through a season of sorrow. The 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon once said, I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. God reoriented David's perspective, and even though his circumstances didn't change at that moment, David could still praise God because he could trust in his unfailing love. And let's not forget, Jesus walks with us in our pain. He is, right th- he is right here with us, right the way through this whole psalm. In verse 1 and 2, we see David asking, How long, Lord? On the cross, Jesus asked, Why, Lord? Why have you forsaken me? He is with us in our pain. He knows what it's like to cry out to the Father in anguish. So let's cry out to our Lord. Let's cry out to Jesus. At the start, I quoted my friend um, who suffers with depression and how she feels on her worst days. Let me quote her again now on how Jesus gives her comfort on those hard days. She says, As a Christian, it doesn't feel like the weight is being lifted at all. But you know that Jesus is there beside you, with you, being crushed with you. That even if it doesn't change, he's with you the whole time which is better than the promise of it being lifted and him abandoning you. Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that we never have to be abandoned. Even if it doesn't feel like it, Jesus is there. 
He is right here with us. He is not distant. He is never distant. He deeply knows our pain. He's experienced it. In fact, he's experienced far worse pain than we ever will because of his love for us. And Jesus is the one who gives light to our eyes. He is the one that saved us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. And we can pray to him continually to give light to our eyes. And it's Jesus who defeats the enemies that we saw in verse 4. He is the one that gives us strength to fight them. And he is the one who one day will defeat them once and for all, bringing everlasting peace. And it's because of Jesus that we can trust in God's steadfast love. We know God loves us because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to lift us out of the depths of our sin and brokenness and to raise us to new life in him, united to him. His death means we're adopted in God's family. He is the only one who never deserved to suffer, yet he suffered for us. His excruciating suffering means that one day we can live with him forever in a place where there is no more pain. In the toughest of times, we can cling to Christ. We can trust Jesus. In the words of Dane Ortland, the evidence of Christ's mercy towards you is not your life. The evidence of his mercy towards you is his. Mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned, eternally, in your place. If God sent his son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. Christ knows the depths of your despair, and he has paid our passage through the valley. So on those tough, dark days, on those days where the rock is crushing you, on those days where the clouds don't lift, cry out to God. Pour out your heart to him. Ask him to give light to your eyes. And through the tears, trust in his steadfast love. Through the pain, sing praises to his name. From the depths of despair, let's cry out to Jesus, the one who we can trust. Let me pray for us. Father, you are so good. We can't put into words uh, your goodness, your kindness, your justice, your mercy. Father, thank you that we can cry out to you. That you are Abba Father who always listens to his children. Father, help us know we can always be real with you, that we can pour out our hearts to you. And Father, through doing that, May you turn us towards trust in you as we pour out our hearts, as we are expressing our trust in you, Lord. May you lead us deeper in our relationship with you. Thank you for sending your son to the cross. Thank you for his death for us, Lord, so that we can be reconciled with you, so that we can be your children. Father, no matter what life throws at us, may we never lose sight of your goodness. May we know your goodness more and more every day. Father, thank you for what you've done for us, but most of all, thank you for who you are. May we just gaze at your glory and your goodness more and more every day. 
Father, we love you and adore you and pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, John is going to come and lead us in a time of communion now.